Hello and welcome back, fights, to the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. This is episode 201A. I am your host, Michael Montero, and we got a lot to discuss this week. We got some news and notes, some big announcements that happened over the weekend, right before the end of the year. Some good stuff, man. Eddie Hearn promised us, promised us a good, big announcement, and he hit us with one that we did not see coming. So we'll talk about that in just a second. And of course, we saw Terrence Crawford look human, but pull out that dominant victory that some are taking liberties with, you know who, online and having fun with that, making it out like he got exposed just because he got clipped with a good shot. A statement from Tiafima Lopez, and I think a statement from Virgil Ortiz. We'll talk about all that in a second. But first, I want to remind you guys, the best thing you could do is share this video. So I have a friend who... He doesn't work high up in Google, but he, he works with people who work high up in Google, okay, if that makes any sense. And I was just speaking with him over the weekend, and you know, basically what they told me is uh, what YouTube does, and this is through Google, Google owns YouTube, of course, is they change these algorithms. And right now, they're making a big push to partner with big platforms, you know, the NBCs, the ESPNs, um, CBS, Fox, you know, so you're seeing big celebrities start to YouTube channels and big networks get on YouTube. I think it was like 10 years ago, over 80% of the biggest channels on YouTube were guys like me, private people just doing it from their home. Now that's less than 20%. Now over 80% of the channels, the big channels, the biggest channels that you guys are get uh, on YouTube are corporate sponsored channels. That's because Google's making a push. They're trying to basically make YouTube the Netflix of the internet, the Hulu of the internet. I think it's a mistake because I think what what really drives YouTube is the community perspective, right? But anyway, these algorithms, they, they shut guys like me out. They shut little private content creators like me out in favor of the big corporate-sponsored, studio-sponsored YouTube channels. So best thing you guys could do to help me out, share the video itself. Spread the word about the channel. Post it everywhere you can. Tweet it. Get it in the the boxing chat rooms, everything else, okay? John says, yay, capitalism. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it is what it is, man. We got already got a super chat from The Hidden. Thank you so much. That's obviously one way you can really help me out as well, guys. I'm an independent operator, an independent content creator. They're all shutting guys like me out any way they can. And you got to kind of sell out to the man to get corporate sponsors, to get studio sponsors, to kind of keep your job in line and to make serious money in this business. So I make some dollars here and there from the articles I write with Ring Magazine and Ring TV and all that, some of the radio spots I do. I get a little bit of dollars here there. But the way you can really help me out is the Super Chat pledges right here. I do have a Patreon, but I'm considering shutting down my Patreon and, tr- and starting some other, uh, I don't know what, how to word it, but some, some other fundraising thing that I own, maybe on my own website or something. I'm curious what you guys would think about that because... I think the the ethics of Patreon, I don't really line up with. They take some of the money that you guys donate to the show, which I think is messed up. They take their cut. I think that, um, I don't know, I'm considering maybe trying to find a different way to raise capital for the show and keep everything running because this shit ain't cheap. 
all the software that I got to buy to do what I want to do and take the show where I want to take it. So um, I'm considering maybe having a private donation sort of thing set up through PayPal or something on a website that I control and keeping the corporate whores at Patreon and everything off of it. But right here, guys, you can help out with the Super Chats. So thank you so much to Hidden for your Super Chat pledge. He says, shout out to Mixmaster Mike Montero, Triple M. I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you. Anyway, so I'll stop talking about myself. I know I had to get a minute of plugs or maybe a couple minutes of plugs in there. But I am curious what you guys think about that. All right, so let me know about that. But okay, let's get into some news and notes. This is TNC 201A for the week of December. December 21st. And guys, I think that next week, I'm probably not going to do a show. It's Christmas week. I'm going to have family in town. But on top of that, I'm also working. I got to finish up an article for Ring Magazine. Actually, I got to get one dug tomorrow morning. And then I got to get to work on two for the next issue. One on Evander Holyfield and one on Gervonta Davis. In the last few days, I have spoken on the phone with Eddie Reynoso, uh, Steven Espinoza, Leonard Ellerby, among other folks. I've just been, it, it's been nuts the past week or so. And next week is going to be crazy because I'm juggling all this and I got family and friends in town. So no show next week, but we, we will be back for one last huge show the last Monday of, of course, we'll be back this Thursday for the preview show, but I'm saying January 30th, that'll be kind of a fun celebration, year-end kind of a thing. We'll talk about, you know, the best of the best in 2019, and then we'll get ready to uh, kick off 2020. So just wanted to get all that out there. Let's get into news and notes, okay? Mikey Garcia inks a deal with Matchroom, Eddie Hearn's Matchroom. His next fight will be February 29th, probably against... Jesse Vargas on the zone. Who the hell saw this coming? I sure as hell didn't. So Mikey Garcia now, and look, I should state, this is for one fight with the option of a second fight. So it's kind of a short-term thing because Mikey doesn't do long-term deals with promoters. He did not like his experience with top rank. And after that, he's kind of done this free agent thing where he's just kind of fought... Basically, you're fighting for Al Heyman and PBC. They're basically your promoter, but Al kind of plays both sides of it because he's acts like a promoter behind the scenes in certain ways. He's an advisor, a manager. It kind of does a little bit of everything anyway. Now he's going to technically be promoted by Matchroom in 2020. So yes, it's probably going to be Jesse Vargas on February 29th. Now I hear a lot of you groaning and cringing. Look, I hear you, but listen, it's not pay-per-view. He is coming off a loss, a dominant loss, where he didn't look very good. I'm cool with this fight. I think it's a good rebound kind of fight for him. I think that Eddie Hearn's smart. He might put that in Chicago. I think that'd be awesome there. He might put it in Los Angeles. Of course, it'd do great there. I'm thinking he'll put it in L.A. because, you know, Mikey Garcia is an L.A. fighter. It just makes sense there. The second fight is what I hope really, really they play up, okay, and they do the right thing. And I've heard Josh Taylor. I've heard his name thrown around. That would be great. Who the hell wouldn't like to see Mikey Garcia and Josh Taylor? That'd be awesome. Mikey Garcia and Regis Progre, that's a possibility. Those guys all fight on the zone. Regis Progre is kind of like a free agent, but Josh Taylor's on the zone. Man, if Mikey Garcia later in the year, he went over to the UK and fought Josh Taylor, I'd love that. That'd be awesome. 
Now, if they bring Josh Taylor to America and do it in Vegas, eh, that's kind of, I'd groan at that, but I still love the matchup. If he doesn't fight him and ends up fighting somebody like Regis Progray, I love that matchup. And Progray now trains out of Los Angeles, lives there. So they could do that fight in LA too. I think it'd be big there. So there, there's big possibilities with Mikey Garcia. I think he's going to actually have a really good 2020. I really do. Win, lose, or draw, he's going to be in fights, or at least that second fight, that we, we're going to give a damn about his opponent. We really, really are. And it's going to be seen as a very close matchup. All right, so I'm looking forward to that. You know, that's, that's a big announcement. I, I really do think that's a big announcement. And I got to say this. There's these loyalties among boxing fans, and there's these cults, okay? And I hate this shit. I really do. And even with the credential media, you see this. Because people, again, they get tied to their corporate masters that pay their checks. And so they got to play the role. And you hear a lot about, you know, Al's, Uncle Al's playing chess, all these other guys playing checkers. You hear people saying, um, the zone's going to run out of money. They got no subscribers. Well, Mikey Garcia disagrees with all that because he just went and signed a little deal with the zone. So, look, people are going they're going all over the place, all right? PBC is doing some great stuff right now. I don't like the pay-per-views, but I do like what they're doing with some of their fighters in the marketing. And I, I do think that some of their guys are really becoming popular stars. Deontay Wilder, now look, he, he's not a crossover superstar, but he is becoming a brand. Gervonta Davis technically is Mayweather Promotions. But, man, he's really becoming a star. He's selling tickets here in Atlanta. They're going to do at least 10000 here, I'm telling you. So, And he's, he's with Heyman, right? Because Mayweather Promotions is kind of an offshoot of PBC, basically. So I like some of the things that they're doing. But zone's doing amazing stuff, too. Top Rank's doing some great stuff. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. So all these guys are doing good stuff. As long as they work together, we'll be all right. If they keep doing this Cold War bullshit and they don't work together, it's not going to end well. Also, in big news, this I thought this was interesting, man. Tyson Fury leaves trainer Ben Davidson. And it wasn't like this nasty breakup. It was amicable. They're, they're cool. In fact, I think Ben posted on social. I don't know if it was Twitter or Instagram, whatever. But he said, we're still cool. Tyson's going his way. I'm going mine. So it's amicable. But Tyson Fury leaves him and gets with Sugar Hill Stewart, Manny Stewart's nephew of Crunk Jim, Crunk Jim fame, right? So then, of course, there's all sorts of talk about this all over the internet. Fury technically has been at Crunk before, and people are saying, oh, he's going back to his Crunk roots. Okay, okay, back up a second. When he was like 21, he checked out the Crunk Gym. He worked out there for a little while. I don't think he's ever trained in the, the crunk system or anything like that. He went there years ago when he was very young. He did work a little bit with Manny Stewart. That's when he first met Javon or uh, Sugar Hill, that Manny's nephew, and, and the crew. I think he met Jonathan Banks. He met all those guys. So he's familiar with them and everything else. But it is an ex- it's not as if he trained there for three, four, five professional fights during you know a good part of his career. And he's going back to these roots. No, this is going to be a new look for him. Okay. Now, I, I think if he was going to do this, I think if he would have did it after the Wilder fight, after the first Wilder fight, I think that would have been a move because generally speaking, it takes two or three fights with a new trainer to really get your flow going. 
to, to really be in the groove and under, be, where you can kind of understand each other and finish each other's sentences and all that kind of shit, right? You make eye contact, you know what each other's saying without even speaking, that sort of thing. It takes two or three fights. So if he would have got with Stewart right after that Wilder fight and then had the Schwartz and Valine fights, he'd be settling in now for the Wilder rematch. That'd be his third fight with, with Stewart. I think they'd be in, really in a good place and a good rhythm. But dude, this fight is two months away. The rematch is supposed to happen February 22nd between Wilder and Fury. So in two months, and keep in mind, we got Christmas, New Year's. Fury's not training during Christmas and New Year's from what I've heard. He's going to go, and it it makes sense. He wants to be with his family during the holidays. But as far as I understand it, they're going to start camp at the beginning of January, right? So basically, you're going to train with a new guy for six weeks and then go into a rematch with Wilder. I, I just, I understand why he's doing it. And for the record, Krunk, because of Emmanuel Stewart's, Emmanuel Stewart's teachings, they're very good working with tall, rangy fighters and using distance, using your length, and getting full extension on your punches, being as explosive as you can from the outside. So I get it. it it's a good fit. I think that, I just think they should have did this a year ago. That's my personal opinion. I don't know if this means Tyson Fury is going to train in Detroit or anything like that. But if he does, I'm going to have to go up there and see them. That's, that'd be awesome. Um, I, I haven't heard anything like that, though. However, again, I got to say, man, it takes a few fights to, to get used to a new trainer. So I just don't know, man. You're doing this two months before a, a rematch with Wilder. And, and also... I don't know if staying on the outside is the best thing for Fury. I, I actually think he did better against Wilder in mid-range and even in close quarters because Fury's a much better fighter at mid-range and on the inside than Wilder is. I mean, he's a much better fighter than Wilder technically in every category. But on the outside, Wilder does have a chance to land that big right hand, which he did in the 12th round. He set it up with a jab landed the right hand, followed it up with a left hook as Fury went down. It was a great one, two, three from Wilder. He could do that if Tyson's on the outside. I actually think that he'd be better served staying in that mid-range where Deontay can't get full extension on that right hand and where he can counter. He can catch and shoot. He can make Deontay miss and encounter. He did that beautifully in that first fight. So anyway, we'll talk way more about that. Of course, as that fight draws near. Let's get into the review. So last Friday, Golden Boy Promotions, Fantasy Springs Casino, on the zone. Virgil Ortiz Jr., my 2019 runaway prospect of the year, scores a second, or I'm sorry, fifth round stoppage over Brad Solomon. There were three knockdowns. He improves to 15-0 with 15 knockouts. So he's got a 100% knockout ratio, only 21 years old. Now, he didn't make weight on the first attempt which I was a little disappointed in, but he made it on the second attempt. He's okay. I don't know. I mean, maybe there were just a, things were not calibrated 100% correctly, but I, there shouldn't be issues for him making 147. He just moved up. But make no mistake, this kid, it would not surprise me if he settles in as a middleweight. I'm serious. He's definitely going to be at 54 within the next few years. And then at some point, he'll probably make the eventual jump to 160. He's that big. He's a big, strong welterweight. Brad Solomon, never been stopped. However, th- these are all the good things 
about Ortiz, right? Hold on, let me read Gail's comment here. Gail, who was there, said that Ortiz Jr. said he weighed in fine on his home scale. It was no big deal. Yeah, he weighed in the second time 15 minutes later. Yeah, Gail, that's what I figured. I figured that it was um, just something like these scales, you can't trust them, the calibration and all that stuff. When you get on the commission scale, it could be totally different. Sometimes it's a pound off. I think that's what happened to Sergey Kovalev against uh, Canelo a few weeks back. What was that? Shit, that was over a month ago already. Anyway, all these are good things from Virgil Ortiz Jr., right? All good stuff. I mentioned 100% knockout ratio, and he's got some 15 fights in. He's got this win over Brad Salmon, who come, coming in only had one pro loss, was a good amateur. I think he won like three national Golden Gloves tournaments. So he's definitely a guy who can handle himself. Antonio Orozco, good win. Mauricio Herrera, good win. Juan Carlos Salgado, former world titleist, good win. However, there are asterisks next to all these wins. So everyone just needs to slow down a little bit. And this is why I don't yet call Virgil Ortiz Jr. a contender just yet. He's still a prospect in my mind. And a fighter that we'll talk about later on, Tiafima Lopez, has the same amount of pro fights, but he is now a contender. And I'll tell you why later on in the show. Virgil Ortiz Jr. to me, blue chip prospect, my favorite prospect, 2019 prospect of the year, but he's still a prospect because here's the thing, guys. Solomon, coming into this fight, had only one fight in the last two and a half years, okay? So he wasn't very active. He was coming into this fight basically the same way Matvey Korobov was coming into his fight with Charlo last year, Jamal Charlo, right? One fight in like two and a half years. So not very active. And for a guy like Solomon, who depends on his defensive ability and his movement, that's a lot of ring rust, bro. So that, that definitely affected him. Also, Solomon's a light punch welterweight. He has a 30% knockout ratio as a professional fighter. So he's light hitting. So Ortiz wasn't face, uh, facing much resistance as far as the punches he was taking back at him. You go back to Antonio Orozco. Good win, but he's a natural 140. Now, some of you are going to say Ortiz started at 140. Yes, he started at 140 as like a 19 and 20-year-old, okay? Orozco's a grown-ass man at 140, so there's a difference there. That means Ortiz is naturally bigger, stronger. And Orozco, good fighter. He lost to Jose Carlos Ramirez at 140 before moving up. So, again, I'm not trying to shit on Ortiz at all. I'm really high in the kid. I'm just telling you guys, Golden Boy Promotions is doing their job. I'm just saying he's yet to face a prime, strong, hard-punching welterweight. He'll get there, but we need to slow down great doing it. But Mauricio Herrera, a natural 140, a 21% knockout ratio. Okay, and that includes his time, most of his time being at 140. Then he moved up to 47, so he doesn't hit very hard. Juan Carlos Salgado, who I mentioned before, he started at 130. Not very hard punching at 147. So Ortiz is doing everything he's supposed to do. He has passed every single test, but not ready to call him a contender and say he's ready to challenge for a title quite yet. Let's find a top 10 welterweight in their physical prime who can punch back, who's got a serious welterweight punch. I want to see how Ortiz reacts to some adversity because he hasn't faced any yet. The process that Teofimo Lopez went through earlier this year against that Japanese fighter, where all you guys out there wrote him off after that, right? He faced adversity. He had to come back and learn from that. Virgil Ortiz Jr. needs to go through that process before we could call him a contender. But right now, 
Sky's the limit, man. Crazy potential with this kid. I love him. What's not to love about Virgil Ortiz Jr.? Okay, Saturday, December 14th. Big show in, in, in New York. Madison Square Garden, top rank, ESPN. Michael Conlon avenges his 2016 Olympic loss. I'm saying that with quotes to Russian Vladimir Nikitin. This was a good performance by him. He got a little sloppy like toward the last three, four rounds and, and slugged it out a little bit too much. The first half of this fight, the first five, six rounds, he boxed beautifully and pretty much shut out those rounds. So uh, then he got lured into a little bit of a slugfest. And that's not what Conlon needs to do, particularly against a limited guy like Nikotin. Now, Vladimir Nikotin has tremendous experience as an amateur. Only three pro fights coming into this, but hundreds of fights as an amateur. He knows how to handle himself in a boxing ring. But he kind of does one thing, one speed, one angle. You know, again, if we make a baseball reference like I do all the time, he does the same pitch over and over. But it's a good enough pitch. Let's say it's a fastball. He's got such a damn good fastball, he was able to win huge Olympic tournaments from it, go to huge amateur tournaments, go to the Olympics, you know, he's been able to carve out a great career for himself with that one pitch. But a boxer like Conlon sees that one pitch coming and makes adjustments. And so I thought he won seven, eight rounds of this uh, fight. Some people did not like the scorecards. They felt they were too wide. I didn't. I scored this fight. I think it was, it was a 10-rounder. So I had it like 98-92. I could see 97-93. That's it. Conlon clearly won this fight. Um, so... Good performance. I'm still not... Conlon's another guy. I mean, he's not as far along as Virgil Ortiz Jr. He's still a prospect, still developing. At some point, he says he wants to com- compete for a world title at the end of next year. Maybe he'll get there, but he can't get, get lulled into these brawls like this. He's got to just box. He's going to be one of those guys that has to box every minute of every round of every fight. That's what he needs to do. Okay, let's talk about Tiafima Lopez, man. Proves the 15-0, 12 knockouts with a TKO2 win over Richard Comey, who had never been stopped before. He had been buzzed. He had been hurt, but not stopped. Wins the IBF lightweight title. And more importantly, Davasili Lomachenko sweepstakes. So they are probably going to fight in April. Lomachenko was there at the Garden. He was ringside. They interviewed him right there. And he said basically, you know, welcome to my club. Because now you have title. Welcome to my club. I'll see you in April, my friend. So he's ready now to do that fight. And we're going to see that in April. It's going to completely unify the lightweight division. I love it. I think that that is, is an outstanding fight. And now, look, a year ago, I didn't like the fight. I thought it was way too premature. Goodfellas says that impression was terrible. Yeah, it was. But what, sue me. <laughs> Just having fun. <laughs> a year ago... Uh, Lopez was, was way too inexperienced, but what he went through this year, specifically with, uh, Nakatami, I think that's, I think that's the fighter's name, Nakatami. Oh, Billy Falco's on here. What's up, Billy? He says, same punch that hurt Komei in the Easter fight is the same punch he got caught with and knocked down and then knocked him down, uh, against Lopez. Yes. The difference is Lopez's shot was way harder and faster and twitchier than Robert Easter's. You saw the difference in result. But yeah, I'll talk about that in a second, Billy. But um, but yeah, so now that Tiafima Lopez has gone through that process, having a tough 12-round fight with the Japanese guy, uh, learning that he, he 
has to take every opponent seriously, that he was getting a little too carried away in camp with all the trash talk and needed to bite down and get serious again. Look how great he looked against Comey. Looked outstanding. So now, look, we got two, the big three prospects coming up over the last year or so have been Lopez, Ortiz, and then, of course, Devin Haney. When I rank all three of them right now in terms of their resumes, I put Lopez number one, clearly. He's got a world title, but I don't read too much into the world titles. It's who he beat to get there and the processes he's had to go through. He's had to go through a little bit of uh, turmoil to get there, right? He's had to get, he was humbled a little bit, even in the dominant win. He, he, he won that fight clearly against Nakatani, but it's, it's how he looked vulnerable in it, right? And he took a lot of criticism and he kind of had to back up and pump the brakes a little bit and get serious. Devin Haney hasn't gone through that process yet. Neither has Virgil Ortiz. So I, I rank Lopez number one out of that three, then Ortiz. And then I actually rate Haney third. Haney has the worst resume as far as who he's fought. He just hasn't fought the names yet. Not even uh, guys that are you know past their best or moving up in weight like Virgil Ortiz has. So Haney needs to step up the opposition in 2020, especially he's got a title now. So anyway, Lopez, now that... Jerron Ennis, I hear one of you guys asking. Yeah, Jerron Ennis, I think 2020 is going to be his year to step up. I'm sorry, I didn't see who asked about Jerron Ennis. But I like him a lot. I'm really high on him as a prospect. He's got to step up the opposition as well. I think 2020 is going to be his year where he's really going to start to get attention. But I put him behind uh, Lopez, the big three right now. And let's see, uh, Joshua Caldo in the chat is mentioning Javante Davis. And ranking them with these guys. I put Gervonta Davis in. He's a contender now. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about titles and all that. I just mean he's, he's not a prospect anymore. So I, I think Gervonta Davis has kind of graduated from that realm. And he's, he's above all these guys right now. Um, although, you know, Lopez is, is nipping at his heels. But of, of, of the prospects right now in those early, lower weight divisions, guys who have been a pro for just a few years, it's Lopez, number one, then Ortiz, then Haney, then um, who am I forget? Shakur Stevenson. I put him after Haney. So I mean, these guys, they're stepping up, and we've got a bright future over the next five, over the next five years. It's, it's going to be good, man. Boxing's in a good place in these lower weight classes. And then we got some guys coming up like Danny Dubois at the heavyweight division that I think are going to make it good up there too. But let's talk about the actual fight. Um, Coleman's a good fighter, okay? Good fighter. But again, if we nitpick, and this is being, I'm nitpicking right now, but if we nitpick that resume and have some perspective, his best win, Richard Coleman's best win, is an old Ray Beltran. That's his best win. Now, you can argue that he beat Easter. You can argue that he beat Shafikov. Those were close fights. For my Money. I was cool with those decisions. I was fine with Shafikov and Easter getting the nod. But Comey, again, good fighter, huge defensive liabilities, drops the left hand, as Billy Falco in the chat was talking about a few minutes ago, uh, against um, Easter. He lowered that left hand and got clipped with a good right hand that buckled his legs, and he was badly hurt against Easter, right? Same thing here against Lopez. Lopez is just so much more explosive and fast and powerful than Robert Easter. He's just a level above him. 
So getting caught with that shot against a guy like Lopez, you're going to go down, which he did, and he could not recover. So is is happy as I am for Tiafima Lopez, who proved all the doubters wrong with this performance, and as excited as I am now because he's proven himself and he's worthy of the Lomachenko fight, as excited as I am for that fight, and I do think it's going to be extremely competitive. I really, really do. And Lopez absolutely has a chance. There's such a leap from Richard Comey to Vasily Lomachenko. Such a leap. Now, Lomachenko is not naturally as big as Comey. And in fact, Tiafima Lopez is the naturally bigger, stronger guy compared to Lomachenko. I know they're both fighting at 135 right now, guys. But again, I go back to the age. Lomachenko is a grown-ass man who's a, a featherweight fighting as a lightweight right now in his 30s. But, but within a year, by the end of next year, Tiafimo Lopez will be at 140. So, oh, we got a super chat pledge from Joel O. Thank you so much. He says, Merry Christmas. Any truth to what Aram said about Errol Spence being much worse than was reported? Have you heard any inside rumors or news? Thank you again, Joel. I really appreciate it. And as far as Errol Spence goes, I've heard rumors. I'm telling you right now. I've heard some really bad stuff. I've heard some really good stuff. But I can't say any of it with confidence publicly because it's nothing more than rumors. I think, look, Grandpa Bob is a promoter. And like any other promoter, he talks a lot of shit and says all sorts of bombastic things. I think he was saying the other day that Kubrat Pulev is going to mess Anthony Joshua up. I don't see that happening. He's also saying that Wilder Fury 2 is going to do 2 million pay-per-views, pay-per-view buys. That's insane. I don't even know if it cracks a million. So he says all kinds of crazy shit. All I know about Errol Spence is he posts some things occasionally on Instagram and instead of posting it on his actual profile, he's been posting it in the, what is it called? The story or whatever. So it deletes after 24 hours. He posted something really shitty about Timothy Bradley this weekend, which I, I, was, I was really disappointed in. And he's posted a couple things recently. You guys have seen the mugshot. He didn't look good. But as far as I understand it, physically, physically, he, uh, the only problem was some lacerations and stuff like that. Mentally, emotionally, how he's recovered from that accident, how that might affect his fight career, I don't know. I think what they're trying to do, and this just seems to be the way PBC handles these sorts of situations, they're just not talking about it. They're just being quiet. They've asked him, as far as I understand it, not to come to fights. He wasn't at, uh, what was it, the Charlo fight recently, and Charlo's his bro. He's kind of staying out of the public eye, and they're just, I think, kind of hoping that the news about the accident, the drunk driving and all this stuff kind of just fades away because we live in a 24-hour news cycle on social media, and people will find other stories to jump on and more tabloid fodder to jump on. So by the next time Errol Spence fights, of course those questions will come up, but it won't be as crazy as it is now, right? So um, I think... I think he's physically going to be okay. And I think he's going to fight next year. But it's going to be late in the year. I think Spence will fight twice next year, but it's not going to be against top-level opposition. I just can't see that. I think he's going to come back and have a really soft type of fight, maybe in the early summer, and then a step-up kind of opponent in the fall. 
maybe is mandatory or something like that. There's a situation like that. But I just can't see him taking on a guy like they were talking about him. Look, I think a big part of this deal with Mikey Garcia going over to the zone is because of what happened with Errol Spence. You know, because Mikey Garcia already fought him, but they were going to try to do Mikey Garcia versus um, Manny Pacquiao. And then they were going to have Danny Garcia fight Errol Spence. And then they were going to have the winners of those two fights fight at the end of the year. So basically, they were going to have Errol Spence and Manny Pacquiao fight at the end of 2020. That shit's blown up. It's not happening. So that changed everything. It changed all the rules, right? And I think it says a lot, Mikey Garcia going over to the zone for like one year. It shows the delay in those plans. So just kind of read between the lines on that. All right. Um, Back to Tiafima Lopez real quick. Comparing him to Lomachenko. We'll talk about that fight next year as we get closer to it. But again, I go to to the size factor, okay? Lopez is a naturally bigger, stronger guy. He's an inch taller, three inches longer reach, nine years younger. So because of those factors, the explosiveness, the power, him being bigger and stronger, he absolutely has a chance. But man, you're taking a quantum leap from Richard Comey to Lomachenko. Even this Lomachenko who might be slowing down, hitting the, the tail end of his prime. I think we're going to start to see that over the next year or two, the tail end of Lomachenko's prime. But I still favor Lomachenko by decision in that fight. And guess what? It's going to teach Tia Fimo Lopez so much and make him a bigger brand. And what's he going to do after that loss? Say, oh man, I can't make 35 no more. I was killing myself to make weight. He'll move up to 140 and he'll be ready to challenge against any of those guys immediately. Who wouldn't love to see Tiafima Lopez against any of the guys at 140? Remember, everyone, Top Rank also promotes Jose Carlos Ramirez, who is at what? 140 pounds, okay? There's also Regis Progray, Josh Taylor. There's a lot of fighters at 140 for Tiafima Lopez. So I think that's the way that's going to play out. We got another Super Chat pledge from Adam Guarno. Thank you so much, Adam. He says, big fan, Mike, my go-to boxing mind, first live video. Well, thank you very much for supporting the show, and thank you for being here live. That means a lot to me, Adam. You know what? My best friend growing up in Detroit, his name was Adam Arnone, and he ended up uh, dying when I was very, very young. Uh, into how or why, because I don't want to break down right here on this show, but that was the, uh, the name of my best friend growing up, man. So you got a good name, my friend. Okay, main event, Terrence Crawford, TKO 9 win over the Mean Machine, Igedijus Kavliowskis. Crawford is now 4-0 with four stoppages at 147 pounds, albeit not against elite-level opposition, but he's doing what he's supposed to do with these dudes. He's 36-0 with 27 knockouts now. So here's the thing about this fight. Here's the thing. Mean Machine, very competitive. He lived up to his nickname in this fight. He took beating early on. He took some hard shots, but he delivered some hard shots. And I think that this was the first opponent in a while for Bud that didn't just kind of start to fold mentally. These dudes over from that part of Europe, they're tough. And, and Crawford was like, oh, shit, I got to bite down a little bit here. Okay, this dude's got something to him. Because in the third round, Me Machine landed the right hand, and I don't give a shit what the referee has to say. It was a shot that landed flush. Terrence immediately tried to hold on. Uh, Kavalowskis 
tried to follow up, and those shots got smothered when when Terrence got in and tried to tried tried to hold. So it was sloppy, but it was a continuous athletic movement from when the punch was landed to ultimately when Terrence Crawford fell down on his knees, right? He fell down because he was on unsteady legs. He went out to hold. He couldn't. He fell. That's a knockdown. He got clipped. And, and Crawford took some other hard shots in those early rounds. And I thought that Kafelyowskis won a couple of those early rounds. So after four or five rounds, this was kind of an even fight. And had the referee properly scored the knockdown, Kafelyowskis might have been ahead by a point. Okay, but by the sixth round, fifth, sixth, end of the fifth round, sixth round, Terrence Crawford took over. He found his gear. He bit down, and he got nasty. This is a nasty dude in the ring. He's got a real old-school dog in him, the way he fights, and that's why I love watching Terrence Crawford fight. I don't give a shit who he fights. I'm going to watch because of this dog. When these guys that press a little bit and actually have moments against him, um, when they have those moments, you see Terrence Crawford hit another gear. And I don't just mean making a technical adjustment. I mean an attitude adjustment. You saw him start to just get nasty in there. And this shit wasn't a boxing match no more. He was taking it back to the street, okay? You guys have all known these dudes. You grew up around guys like that in your neighborhood where, you you know, what was the scene from like good film? I mean, it was Casino where he was talking about Tommy, uh, Pacino's character was talking about Tommy, you know, you come at him with a bat, he comes with a gun. You beat him with a gun, you better kill him because he'll just keep on coming. That's the way I thought about Terrence Crawford in this fight. And I think Kalyowski saw that. And Iron Will from The Mean Machine slowly but surely was beat out of him. And you saw levels in this fight. You saw it being fought on a competitive level through the first four rounds. And then level separation since from the fourth, fifth round on. And then eventually the stoppage win, TKO9 for Crawford. Dropped Kavlyowskis in the seventh, twice in the ninth, and I thought it was a good stoppage. What this fight was, was one guy who was kind of unknown, having the best fight of his career, and another guy having a B performance, I'm sure if Terrence Crawford rated his performance, he'd say, yeah, it was a B, B minus. Maybe you give him a B. That's the levels between these two. And Kavlyowskis is a top 10 welterweight. So that puts everything into perspective here. I, I, you know, the PBC cult guys, the LDBC people and all that, immediately reacted to this knockdown. Like, oh, shit, he got exposed by this nobody. I saw a few people on Twitter calling Kavlyowskis a nobody. Now, look, I'm not saying the dude's an all-time great. I'm not saying he's going to make the Hall of Fame one day. He's not. But he ain't nobody. He made not one, but two Olympics. You're not a chump if you go to two Olympics. Okay, so Igadijus Kavlyowskis, I like saying that name because I think I'm getting it right. <laughs> I'm saying it pretty good. Uh, seriously, guys, he's a, a solid professional fighter. And now, because of this fight, Guys will see some of the levels that he has and be able to properly prepare for him going forward. He was kind of unknown, and you kind of didn't know what you were getting with him because he's had unsteady performances. He's kind of fought to the level of his opposition coming up as a prospect. He looked outstanding early on, but then he kind of slagged off a little bit. He didn't look as good. Uh, you know, He kind of plateaued a little bit. But then in this fight, he showed his full potential. You know what I'm saying? And to show all that, and then for Crawford to do what he did, 
I thought I was impressed. I walked away being impressed because the fight was more competitive than I thought. And it had more, better two-way action than I thought. And it had drama. It had everything. People that are talking about this knockdown as if it somehow exposed Terrence Crawford. Who gives a shit if he was knocked down? Did you see who won the fight? Did you see how he won the fight? These guys, their hero is Floyd Mayweather, right? That's when most of them started watching boxing, when Floyd became, not Pretty Boy Floyd, when he became Money May. That's when they started watching boxing, a lot of these guys. Floyd Mayweather himself got dropped by Zab Judah. He got badly hurt by faded, older versions of Shane Mosley and Manny Pacquiao. He got wobbled by uh, Chop Chop Corley. He got wobbled by Jose Luis Castillo in their first fight. So if your boy Floyd, your Messiah, who has the O, right, undefeated, never lost, if he got hurt and wobbled and even dropped all those times, and he's still your, your God, why is it such a big deal if Terrence Crawford got dropped and came back and didn't decision to do, didn't hug him and hold on for the rest of the round? Go back and watch when Floyd got hurt by Shane Mosley and watch how he fought the rest of that fight. Watch when he watched the first five, six rounds of his fight with Pacquiao and watch which direction he fought in, okay? That's not what Terrence Crawford did here. He got hurt, he got hit, it embarrassed him a little bit, and he came back and tapped that ass. So everyone needs to chill out, man. It's boxing. You're going to get hit. And that includes sometimes getting knocked down or even getting knocked out. That's what happens. It's okay. You're human. Errol Spence is another example. You know, Errol Spence never been knocked out or anything like that. I'm not suggesting that. But he was behind against Kell Brook before he came back and stopped Kell Brook. He was behind or maybe even with Sean Porter, depending on how you scored some of those uh, swing rounds, deep into their fight, right, until his power came on. So for people bashing the shit out of Terrence Crawford because he lost a couple rounds and got dropped, Errol Spence has lost plenty of rounds. And came back in one fight strong too. So, so like, you can't praise one guy and diss the other for doing a similar thing. You know what I'm saying? Um, anyway, Tim Bradley's rant at the end of this. I thought it was epic. I tweeted about this. Basically, Tim Bradley called out the PBC welterweights. And said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you're all cowards because you won't fight Terrence Crawford. Now... I did not like the use of the word coward. Dude, they're not cowards. This is more on their management than them. I don't, I, does anyone not believe Sean Porter would fight Terrence Crawford tomorrow? Sean Porter will fight anybody. So I don't think Sean Porter and some of these other guys are cowards. I think a better term might be businessmen. I think people like Mikey Garcia, Danny Garcia, they're businessmen, but they sure as hell ain't cowards. So I didn't like that term used by Bradley. But I do like him calling out the, the messaging. I'm struggling to find the words. Over at the PBC broadcast right now, because, guys, they're pretending that Terrence Crawford doesn't even exist. They're not saying his name. Now, you've heard me bash the shit out of ESPN because of their hypocrisy with Tyson Fury and the whole lineal thing and conveniently forgetting about him taking drugs and all this you know, so, so I'm going to keep it real on both sides of the fence here, okay? And I understand that Tim Bradley works for ESPN. Thus, he's a quasi-promoter for Terrence Crawford. And 
Terrence Crawford's his good friend. They go back. That's why they never fought. They never wanted to fight each other because they're friends. So I get all that. I get that. Trust me. I understand. I'm not saying I agree with all of Tim Bradley's rhetoric, but I like that he went on this rant because it's getting people talking about the right thing. Why aren't these damn fights happening? And if it took Tim Bradley being a dick, quote unquote, I'm using quotes here, to get people talking and he has to shoulder the brunt of the criticism and all that, and he has to play that asshole role to get people talking, to get the fights made, so be it. Sometimes you got to be that dick. I was the dick that ranted on Adelaide Bird to Bob Bennett after that Canelo uh, Golovkin fight, the first one, right? Now, we've seen Adelaide Bird work plenty of fights since, but she hasn't scored a big major fight like that since, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. She has not scored a major main event like that since. So, and... I was an asshole that I grabbed the microphone and ranted like an idiot. And, you know, I could have chosen my words better. I wish that I said some things differently, but I had to be a dick that night because no one else is going to say it. So I can kind of relate to Timothy Bradley here in a little way. I mean, a much smaller way than him, obviously, because I'm, I'm nobody and he's a former world champion. But I'm just saying, sometimes you've got to be that jerk off that just says it because no one else is going to say it. So I like what he did. I don't like all of his wording, but I like what he did. And again, I understand there's hypocrisy there. So if it gets us the fights, cool. Now, Bob Arum has said that he wants to make fight between Terrence Crawford and, and Sean Porter next year. For what it's worth, I like that fight. If Sean Porter comes over to ESPN or something, they do a one-off. Or even if Terrence Crawford has to go over there, whatever. That'd be awesome. You know, I, I really like that matchup. Now, I don't consider Sean Porter an elite level, pound for pound kind of fighter, but he's a solid, proven welterweight. And I think it would really show levels if Crawford fought him. And for what it's worth, I think Crawford would beat Sean Porter in more decisive fashion than Errol Spence did. And I think he might not score a knockdown. He could, but he might not score a knockdown like Spence did. But I think in terms of rounds, he would beat him more decisively. It would look closer to the Brook fight because I thought Brook decisively beat Sean Porter. He'd beat him more decisively than Spence did and certainly more decisively than Thurman did. So I think that would show levels. I really hope that fight happens next year. All right, guys, let's look at the chat. We'll look at a few questions here. Then we're going to wrap it up because I got to get my article done and get that over to Doug for, uh, for the next issue of the Ring Magazine. I'm actually writing an article on our choice for 2019 Trainer of the Year. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You guys can figure out who that is. If you were listening at the very beginning of the show, you could do the math. <clears throat> okay. Gail Falkenthal says, Adelaide Bird judged November 30th Arnold Barboza Jr. bout and the Guido Biello bout. Both KOs. Yes. She's scoring plenty of fights. I just haven't seen her score a big major pay-per-view like that in Las Vegas since I ranted. I'm not saying it's because I ranted. I'm saying I'm part of why maybe because I, you know, I was the dick that everyone needed that night, but nobody else wanted to be. And um, it, it got everybody else talking. And that's what Tim Bradley, I think, was trying to do the other night. And I think it worked because everyone's been talking about his rant. <clears throat> 
Now you guys are just talking about Adelaide Bird. Boxing and Bulldog says, Mike, any chance at all Fury Wilder 2 ends up in Brooklyn? Small chance, yeah, because um, they have that relationship with Barclays management. But I tend to think they're going to sell out and go to Vegas for the money. I think they're going to get a hell of a site fee. Although, I should add that the MGM executives are not happy with the loss that they took on that last Wilder fight. So, Uncle Al, and they're going to have to do some negotiating and maybe lower some prices and figure some things out. For what it's worth, if they put Wilder and Fury 2 in Las Vegas and they price it right at the MGM Grand, they can sell it out. It's all about pricing. They overpriced that Wilder-Ortiz rematch. If they had priced that right, they could have did a good crowd. James Braille says, Robert Bird would be a better referee if they got him a rascal to be... <laughs> I had to think about what you were saying. For those of you who don't know, a rascal is one of those scooters for elderly people. That's cold, James. That is, that's ageist. That's elderly biased. We can't have that here. <laughs> uh, Gail Falkenthal says, Bird judged the Bradis versus Glovaki fight in June that her husband, Robert Bird, completely screwed up. Yes. God, that was a debacle. Oh, my God, that was horrible. I remember that. Yeah, look, if the Birds, like, what I thought about in that fight is, man, they have to travel overseas to get bigger gigs now. She does. Fine. You want to bring her over there to score your fight? Fine. But if I see her scoring a major, major fight in Nevada anytime soon, ooh, that's not a good look for Nevada. Oh, Super Chat Pledge from Bango Bang says, love your show, brother. We appreciate it, Double B. Thanks for watching, man. Thank you for the Super Chat. That helps me out a lot tremendously. Absolutely appreciate it, man. We thank you for all you guys that are watching. And you're going to love some of the stuff I got coming up soon, I promise you. Uh, let's see. Vegan Dad asks, who will Loma fight in 2020? Vegan, are you trolling? Are you trolling, my friend? Or have you just not been paying attention for the last year? He's going to fight Teofimo Lopez in April. After that, he's probably going down in weight. He actually called out Gervonta Davis. Now, if he fights Teofimo Lopez in April and fights Gervonta Davis, and that would have to be pay-per-view late next year, holy shit. That'd be amazing. John Uden with the Super Chat. What's up, John? Hope you're enjoying New York, my brother. He says, oh, he's back. Back from NYC. Loved Il Cortile. Oh, great, man. I hope you got the Sunday gravy there. And PJ Clark's Mean Machine could give guys like Lipinets and Danny G and Ugas a hard fight if he gets more fights. I agree with you. Yeah, I think he's on their level. I I would have favored him. And Ugas, I'd, I'd slightly favor him. But I think that... He's, um, he's capable of giving any of those guys a really competitive fight. Really competitive fight. So um, I want to see more of him. And I think more fans are going to want to see him again after his performance against Crawford. Guys, June was in New York for the fight last week, and he was asking me uh, where to, to go eat. And I recommended the place down in Little Italy where I got to know the owner a little bit last time I was down there. And they do a great Sunday gravy. There's a special gravy red sauce that they only make on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So you got to go there on the weekend to get it. Oh, it's so good. Love it. It's just like the gravy that my dad used to make every Sunday. Boxing and Bulldogs asked, will the monster be healthy enough for the, for the fight the first half of 2020? I believe he will be. I hope he will be. I believe he will. 
Might be pushed back slightly, but I think he'll be fine. Aquarius Love asks, yo, Mike, what's up? What's going on with Dana White Zufa Boxing? Your guess is as good as mine, bro. But I, I, if I had to guess, there's going to be an announcement with him, and it's going to involve Floyd Mayweather at some point in 2020. Early 2020, Dana White, Floyd Mayweather, Zufa Boxing, some sort of thing together. That's my prediction. MJB Taco says, shorts. Yes, sir. <laughs> Anytime. Oh, we got another super chat from Fried Pork. He says, another great episode. Nice beard, by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much, Fried Pork. By the way, Fried Pork's delicious. I love it. <laughs> you can't really go wrong with pork any way you do it. You know, same with Fried Pork shit. But uh, yeah, so this beard, this is just my December. I don't give a shit. I stopped shaving beard. That's what this is. It'll be gone early January. Tiffany gets sick of it, and she tells me to cut it off. But last month of the year, I say screw it. So right around Thanksgiving, I just stopped shaving for like a month, two months. Uh, MGB Taco says he's got to work in a few hours, so no shots for me. Yeah, you work a crazy schedule, dog. Crazy schedule. Billy Falco asking, when are you coming to train? Bro, I, I want to get out there in the spring. And I actually hear that Caleb Plant's next fight, or they're, it's his next fight in Nashville. I know they were talking about that. Let me double check real quick. Let me look at my notes. Because I know they wanted to do that. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, man, so it's not official yet. Yeah, I know they were talking about bringing Caleb Plant to Nashville and doing a fight there. If they do that, I'm there, bro. And we're training. It's going to be fun. I can't wait. And I'm bringing Tiff. She wants to train too. So, yeah, that is the plan. Sports Talk with Troy says, Mayweather Khabib at 154. I wouldn't rule anything out. I can never predict what Floyd's going to do. Never. Um, but, yeah, dude, that's very possible. Something like that. And I think Dana White obviously would be involved with that. I could totally see it happening. Yeah, man. Michael Barrios works 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. Damn, dude. Well, that's why you make the big bucks, brother. But that, that's a crazy shift, man. Harrison Property with the super chat. Thank you very much. He says, awesome episode, Mike. I appreciate it. I appreciate all you guys watching. We've been going here for about an hour. So I think that uh, we're going to log off here. And I'll see you guys Thursday night. We'll preview what's coming up this weekend. I appreciate all of you. And uh, Piglet Smith in the chat says, Montero KO3. I like that note. We're going to end on that note, guys. All right. (laughs) Have a good night, guys. I'll see you at the fights.